everybody. My name is Alina Roque, and I'm the communications manager for Mary Jo Rapini, a practicing psychotherapist in Houston, Texas. We are joined today by Don Callahan, who is a digital marketing manager for the city of Houston's Mayor's Office of Special Events. Um, in addition, Don is a board member for a nonprofit called AVDA, which serves as a support to domestic violence survivors. Don, would you like to add anything to that? Um, no, I'm just really happy to be here and happy to serve in any way possible. Awesome. Well, we thank you for joining us and trusting us to share your experience with racism um, to bring more awareness to the community. Mary Jo and I, along with those who are tuning in, are here to listen and learn. Mary Jo, do you have anything you'd like to add? No, I'm just really excited that you're here, Dawn, and our whole idea behind this project is to bring awareness and to promote healing with the black community and the white community. We're really looking for a, an opportunity to work together to understand better. And we think that's going to happen with storytelling. So this is an effort for us to sit and listen and hopefully learn from the black community, their experience of racism, so that we can begin understanding and discussing and work together to become better humans. Absolutely. Thank you, Mary Jo. And I'd like to just go ahead and ask the first question so we can go ahead and start the conversation. Um, so, Don, can you let us know what age you were when you first felt racism? So, you know, that's a really interesting question. And I thought about this um, over the last couple of days. Um, so let me just back up a little bit and say my house, like I would imagine a lot of African-American homes, um, we started talking about race early on. I mean, almost immediately. I mean, my the my name, Dawn, my sister's name is Shelly. My, my brother's name is Michael. My parents were very deliberate about our name. <laughs> and so this was, you know, they wanted to make sure that it was kind of an, an ambiguous um, name so that it wouldn't, we wouldn't receive the, any stereotypes when we would grow up and go into job interviews and so forth. So it, it's not, um, it's not a, it's not so much the first time that I felt racism as much as when I realized that it was something additional that we had to pay attention to. And my parents were very adamant about making sure that we were very aware um, that there was a difference, that we were seen differently, that people may not be very kind. Um, so I think that that's, I mean, that's as early as I can remember. But again, it wasn't like... It wasn't like this um, woe is me or, or, or a sadness or a martyr type experience. It was more so like very factual, like, you know, we breathe air is a fact. Like you will experience people who are not going to be nice to you because of the way that you look. So it wasn't it, it, it wasn't as dark as the question may may seem that it's, you know, the first time you felt it. It's just sort of kind of part of your life in the, you know, that's just it, it is what it is. The next question that I have, just so that people are aware that racism still happens today and is very real, could you share your most difficult or painful experience with racism? So again, I was I was thinking about this question again too. What's what's really interesting? I mean, I have experience, and and there's one that I'll share from graduate school that I I tend to tell this story often. But I just remember um, being little. A, a, a young person and I would have these nights where I would look out the window and I was just terrified of like the KKK coming back I was I would it just 
I can't even explain the why. I mean, maybe it was right when I learned what the KKK was. Maybe it was in a history. I don't remember, but I do remember vividly that I would have these, you know, every couple of years, this fear that it was going to escalate beyond just your regular, you know, occurrence, um, you know, coming in contact with someone who's nasty. But again, it's funny that I, when I was talking about the name, so normally when, when I, when I send my information over for a job or whatever people, you know, they get a little confused because we tend to look at people's names and we come to um, a conclusion of what we think that person may look like. And so my name, um, Dawn Callahan, um, I was in graduate school and I, um, and so my information went over to the uh, placement. I was in a fellowship program. And so they just sent my information over. I come to the, the fellowship to check in. And I remember the, the woman, she, you know, I come in and I introduce myself and, and I'm giving my spiel because you're in grad school. That's what you do. You have the, you know, the spiel. And I'm telling her all of this stuff. And she just, she's just looking at me. And then, she, so, you know, I, I wrap up and she just looks at me and she says, oh my God, I thought you were going to be a white girl. And I was like, I was like, well, there, um, I'm not, (laughs) this is, this is the, this is the package. And it was, um, it was just, it was sort of kind of interesting. It's sort of kind of one of those, you know, moments where you walk away and you're just like, huh, that probably wasn't the most appropriate thing to say to me, but okay. And it could have been the location. I was in Indiana, which is a little bit, um, has a history of not being very welcoming to minorities, the part of Indiana that I was staying in at the time. And so I went to a function when I was in graduate school. And, and again, I'm doing the spiel because that's what you do. And so I'm networking and I go to, um, and, and everyone knows the spiel. So I go up and I'm, you know, I'm talking to this guy and, and I, and he's smiling. It's a big, you know, it's white guy cowboy hat and he has this very friendly look on his face and I was like oh you know I'm charming him I'm thinking he's going to ask me for my information so that we can connect later and after I, I wrap up he says he gives me the wink and the gun you know the wink and the gun right the you know yeah exactly and and he says wow you really have that diction thing down oh my and I was goodness. like <laughs> yeah it's it's amazing the 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 things that will come out of people's mouth on a regular basis, but I'm not very confrontational when people make comments like that because I feel like if you have that much hate in your spirit, I don't want it to escalate to anything else, right? And so that's not the teachable moment that I'm looking for. I take it as learning experience, like, oh, this is how far we still have to go. Like, this is what people still are very confused about and they don't realize that, you know, you know, some, some things that come across your head don't need to ever come out of your mouth. And and the fact that it comes across your head and it, and it is coming out of your mouth is, I don't think that's, that's my job to, to go around trying to correct your ignorance, right? Like I can, I can, I'm more than happy to, to talk to people who want to listen, but, um, I don't know what your intention is when you're saying something like that to me. And Yeah. Dawn, when you used to be scared of the KKK, how did you learn about them? Did, was it a lesson at school? And if it was, how was it taught? 
my again my dad is a history buff and and it's funny because his fun thing to do for us kids when we were when we were little was just spit out random dates and see if we know it and then he talks about how the school system is failing us um so we um my dad was adamant every documentary that ever came out about slavery about um, the African-American experience in the United States about, I mean, just about everything. That's what we did when kids were outside playing. We were in the house learning as much as possible. So I, I'm not quite sure if I was first introduced to it, you know, in my house or if it was a history lesson in school. I do remember, um, you know, it being covered during Black History Month, of course. But um, I would guess that I probably learned about the KKK from my dad originally. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be frightening. I mean, I don't think most most people think about that, how that must be interpreted for a child that when they're learning it and how vulnerable they must feel. You know, it's just so a part of you that, you know, just just as like my my mom is originally from North Carolina and her mom was a maid to a very prominent white family. And she she started working for them when she was got like nine or ten and worked for them until the day she died. And even with the affection that they had for my grandmother, she still had to come in the back door till the day she died. And so and this is, you know, she was got in their 80s and still working for this family um and so it's one of those things that you you take in as fire is hot you know what I mean like it's like this is you 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 just sort of kind of digested that okay what battle am I am I picking and it's and it's difficult I think because it's not as if what's going on right now I can stop going to work or I can take some time for myself to digest the heaviness of all of this like I still need to perform it's a lot I mean it's it really is a lot I don't think that there's one African-American person in the United States right now who feels comfortable because it I think is virtually impossible I think that it's hard to conceptualize the African-American experience if you're not African-American, like I, you can you can be sympathetic to it, you can have empathy, but it's so ingrained. The microaggressions are so ingrained. The things that we do just on a regular basis. And I was you know, talking to a girlfriend of mine. When I go into high end stores, I know that I'm being watched. I can feel when I'm being watched. I know to be careful about sticking my hand in my purse too many times because they may think that I you know, was trying to steal something like it's not a conversation that I have to have with myself. It's just a behavior. That's very well said, Don. And I hear right now that you're feeling the weight of the racism that continues in our world today. I wanted to transition to the next question about um, about your parents ever addressing racism with you. Um, if they did, what were you told? The first story my dad told me and and it's the reason that I remember this so vividly is because I just thought that he was making a joke because my dad is, you know, he has dad humor. Um, he said, he said, you know, white people think we have tails. And I was like, wait, what? Like, what? <laughs> what do you, what do you mean? Why would anybody think that we have tails? And, and to his point, he was, you know, basically saying that, you know, they, they see us as animals. Right. And so you can't, as a child, really understand what that what that means and let me just 
put this out there. I have an amazing life. <laughs> I have a great, a great life. I'm very happy. I, I have a great job. I have amazing family, amazing support system, but that doesn't take away from the fact that this is still part of the experience. And, and I feel very fortunate that the life that I've had is not the life that someone who like my grandmother, the, the, the type of experiences that she had. I'm happy that that was not my experience. And, and the reason that it wasn't my experience is because of the work of our ancestors to make sure that it wasn't. And I think that it's our responsibility to make sure that future generations don't have to tell the stories that I'm telling right now. Dawn, you did a great job explaining that you can have a great life and still be affected by the reality of racism, you know, no matter if it was from your grandmother's perspective, your mom's perspective, or your perspective. Um, our next question for you is, how do you think racism has limited your life? And if limited is not the the correct word you want used, what would you replace it with? That's a really interesting question. I don't think that, um, I don't think racism limited my life, but I think that I, my approach to um, life may be different from someone else's, right? And so, like, again, when I, when I was in graduate school and I was experiencing, you know, these situations, was I going to allow it to detour me? Absolutely not. As far as my experiences with racism and how it's affected my life, I think that it makes me a lot more aware. Um, my mom would always say the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. I think that I'm very aware of that. And again, that's not me speaking for the entire African-American community. That's just what, that's my takeaway is that um, when, when immigrants are risk, risking their lives and their children's lives to come to the United States, um, I'm not thinking, oh, you know, they're taking something away from me. I'm thinking that's got to be very hard. And what is it that we can do to make the situation better for them? Absolutely. And I hear that your outlook on racism is to use it more as a growth opportunity instead of really limit letting it limit you. What do you feel white people miss or do not realize about racism? So I think that so in our country, I think that we we tend to do white versus black a lot. And it's discouraging because we're a very diverse um, nation. I don't think that it's necessarily uh, white people um, not realizing or not, you know, what they are not taking in about racism. Um, I think that the reality is that we all have biases, right? And it's our responsibility to acknowledge that we have biases. And, and for some reason, people think that that's a bad thing, and it's not. I mean, when people say, I don't see color, I'm like, you do. <laughs> if you can tell the difference between a skirt and a pair of pants, you see color. Um, and that's and that's fine. Like, that doesn't make you a bad person. I mean, I have biases. Everyone has biases. We have propaganda thrown at us from every which way is virtually impossible. However, it's our responsibility to... Um, be aware, one, that they exist and be mature enough to address them. Um, the thing about what's going on right now is that it's not, it's not just a, you know, the cops are bad. They're, they're just bad people. I mean, there are really bad, evil people. There's people in the police forces bad. There's people in, 
at the education system that's bad. They're across every industry. And I think that the bigger picture is really to look at how our biases affect our behavior towards other people um, and, and be very conscious of what we need to do to address that. It's not a, you know, what, what white people miss because at the same time, it can be someone who, again, with, with, with coronavirus and people were blaming the, you know, the Asian community, like seriously, like it's not, you know, like it's, it's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than, than a white versus black is humanity. Like, why are we not treating people like humans? Like, how do we, how do we skip that step? It's so true. It, it's absolutely so true. I love what you said that I don't think it's a white and black issue. You know, basically it's about, it's about owning our bias. Yeah. And I think a lot of um, the white culture feels guilty, Dawn. Uh-huh. I think what may help is if they understand they're not being persecuted for the past, but but rather we have choices how we're going to live in the present and moving forward. And right. what are we going to choose? How are we going to raise our children? These are big questions. It was so poignant the way your parents basically helped prepare you. Like you had parents and they they would talk to you and educate you so that you could be equipped. I think the worst part of all this are the microaggressions because that's what nobody shows on a video. But that's what's in their what's in the African American heart right now are all the things that they just go through every day that are subtle. Yeah. And it's not and, and I think that's a really good point because you know, the, the Black Lives Matter piece that, you know, a lot of people are so disturbed by that. And the reality is that we're just saying that our lives matter, not better. You know, I think about the, the, the missing soldier right now, Vanessa, who's a young Latina, and her mom was on, um, did a press conference yesterday, and she, she was speaking in Spanish, but it didn't matter because your heart broke for her because of how you could tell that she was just overwhelmed and the piece that I kept thinking about is if Vanessa had been a young white girl would it have taken two months for them to start an active case to look for her and and you and I already know the answer to that her life matters for for someone to feel that comfortable for that cop to feel as comfortable as he did knowing he he knew he was being recorded he knew he was being recorded and he I know. Yeah, they and they felt did. that comfortable to be that blatant. Imagine what happens when there's no camera. And we're just saying absolutely not. Absolutely not. That is not acceptable. That's not acceptable. Mhm. Well, and I'm hoping everyone says that because anybody who watched that has to understand your blinders had to come off and you and you look at this and go this is murder and as bad as the cop kneeling on George Floyd were the were the three others standing and watching it and not stopping this terrible murder from happening. Don, I appreciate your thoughts on the the need to acknowledge that we have these biases and that we also need to be mature enough to confront it. Um, I also appreciate your thoughts on the misinterpretation that 
some of the community has behind the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, kind of want to go into our last question, kind of wrap things up a bit. Do you have an opinion on what is most important for change and healing to occur going forward? I think we just need to have honest conversations. And I think that that's really hard for people. It's hard for people to, like you said, Mary Jo, like, I don't, there's no need for a white person to feel guilty about slavery. They are not enslaving anyone, to my knowledge. You know, like, if you're not, you know, this is some, this is our history. And, and, and it's, we need to just accept that it's our history. But if you can't accept that it's our history, then we can't go anywhere. And when I hear people say, you know, oh, the Holocaust didn't happen or the, you know, slavery was, you know, not that bad. I'm like, we can't we can't have an honest conversation until we acknowledge the truth. Right. And Dawn, I love that. That's going to be very difficult for many people because many people grew up with a scarcity ideologist and that is simply if I get the if you get this then I can't have it they you know so the generosity that no there's abundance there is enough to go around we know wars are started and hate is started because people feel like if you get something and everyone's comparing now, then that means less for them. But, you know, if you take that into what we're doing now, when we raise our children, the only way we can promote growth together, and it is going to be better for us, if we can, if we can start, you know, really stamping out racism, every race will benefit. But in order to do that, we have to convince people that when you give, more comes back to you. And that's, that's really difficult to do. I completely agree. I mean, I think COVID was a perfect example when people started hoarding all of the toilet paper. It just showed that people, you know, they, the fear that they would be left behind. When, if you don't own your fear, then your fear is going to own you. And the only way I know to combat fear is to, is to talk, is to start the discussion and and try to open yourself to that. That was very well said by the both of you. And Don, I completely agree that the healing cannot happen until we are willing to have an honest conversation and acknowledge our history that is part of our past and is part of our present at the moment as well. We do have a few more minutes of airtime. Do you have any last messages or stories or anything that you'd like to share? I'm just so grateful you're here, Dawn, and I pray to God that within a year we will be in a completely different place with all of this. Honestly, my biggest fear out of all of this is that nothing changes. It's a lot emotionally. Again, you know, there was a story that came out on, I can't even remember, but, um, it was like, check on your black coworkers and your black friends because they're not okay. And I can honestly say that is completely true. It's every, I mean, I have to purposely not look at my Facebook feed in the morning because it determines my day. If we do the work now, we won't have to worry about it. We just, we have to do the work. Well, I think we can become part of the solution or part of the problem. And 
you know, I'm, I'm really God willing, we will be part of the solution in offering a space for um, the African American people to tell us their story so we can start walking in their shoes with them. Uh, and I think that's where we need to go. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Don. We really appreciate you joining us and telling us your thoughts and experiences from when you were a small young child up until your adult life and just your thoughts on healing and getting change to occur. And we just appreciate you joining us and creating awareness and having the courage to discuss the hard topics. Thank you. I really appreciate you.